Welcome to the Trends Podcast. I am Rosana Longo. Today, we dive into the lack of representation of journalists, reporters, and media producers of color in our newsrooms, and how this influences those stories we receive and those we never do. Based on an article by Gabriel Arana of the Columbia Journalism in 1976, the American Society of News Editors made a pledge that by the year 2000, the percentage of racial and ethnic minorities in newsrooms will match the population, stressing the importance of lifting people of color into management positions. Today, minority newsrooms staff represent less than half of the population they represent and minorities in newsrooms' leadership positions less than a third. I want to hear. I want to see people in media, in positions of power that look like me. Because when you see somebody that looks like you, they're paving the way for the rest of us. And we need to show people we are capable. We are knowledgeable and we are educated and we can do this. But most importantly, what I have learned is that we need to see people that look like us to be able to tell our own story and have that person that is doing the reporting that understands, understands our background because they're part of that background. That is activist Betty Aragon Mitotes, owner of Mujeres de Colores, and producer of the documentary Hispanic Community Voices, talking about the importance of media producers of color to bring forward the stories from the community. I always feel like the best way to get that out so that people understand the need is on film. And so I wanted to do a documentary and put people on, on film and let them tell their stories. Because one of the things that is so important to me is I don't want someone telling my story. I want people out there in the community to be able to tell their own story, take their own power and tell the story of their lives and how it is impacting their whole family. And for me, this was so important and it was urgent because we're in the middle of COVID and we're, we're finding it's beginning and we're, we're hearing immigrant community is not getting the stimulus money. Uh, they can't have access to other resources that people that are documented are getting. And, you know, the frustrating part with many of the immigrant community have children that are American born. So those children should have access to the stimulus money and access to the resources that everyone else has, but they're not getting. So, you know, definitely wanting to get this on film and allowing people to tell their own story. It was heartbreaking for me. It was, uh, the interviews that I would do, I'd have to stop and turn around because the tears, my heart was wrenching to hear how people were struggling and 
how could this be? I thought we were a community, a country that shows compassion for one another. And how can we just leave this part of our community behind? And so I wanted to put it front and center. Uh, I have a gal, Sherry Dew, with Be Real Pictures, that she is a director. She does a lot of films. And I said, this is what I want to see on this film. I want to ask the questions because I want this to make sure that we're letting them tell the story. I don't want to tell the story. I want them to tell the story. And I'm sorry, but I have to tell you, I don't want white people telling our story. You know, this is about our reality. And when you have people that are on the outside looking in, many times, and, and you know, I'm really grateful to the white community because they have helped us a lot with funding. But here's the reality of that. They're not seeing our lives through their lens. They're seeing it through their reality. Our reality is not the same. Our struggles are not the same. So we have to be allowed to be able to say, I need to show you my life through my lens, my colored lens, so that you understand my struggle and what that's about. Betty Aragón Mitotes, producer of these Hispanic Community Voices, The Impact of COVID-19, a documentary sponsored by AARP of Colorado, also presented by Rocky Mountain PBS and Cubo. Bringing these voices is something that really goes together with the mission of Mujeres de Colores, that is to elevate the status of women and children through education and leadership, allowing us to tell our own stories from our point of view, respecting our cultural realities. The Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights reports that while Hispanics represent 17.6% of the U.S. population, they only control 4.2% of TV stations, while Blacks represent 14% of the population but control less than 1% of TV stations. Lori Lizarraga worked inside of one of these newsrooms at Denver's Nine News and says her attempts to tell stories from a fresh angle and underrepresented perspectives was met with reluctance. I'm in journalism because I love storytelling, but I love storytelling about my community and I love storytelling about the things that are affecting us. We didn't really have very close-knit, tight relationships with these communities. I found there were a lot of just holes in, in coverage of, of big stories that I felt if it were happening in another zip code with you know another demographic, perhaps we would have been more on top of it. Instead of that conversation really being easy and the coverage being like, yeah, go, go forth and conquer. It was like I was like rocking the boat in, in a bad way um, instead of it being really welcomed and encouraged. Yeah, I would just go on to sort of have that experience for, for two years of being met with a lot of roadblocks instead of met with encouragement. Um, and I'm not sure why. I think, like I said, I think change is hard, but I think it's what happens to a lot of journalists in news organizations all over, all over the country. You come in with, with different ideas, um, different perspectives, different desire to cover 
your community in a really personal way. And that's met with, you know, reluctance or a misunderstanding often because there aren't people in the decision-making positions who look like you sound like you feel the way you do about those communities and those things. And so we are not comfortable or elevated in those organizations. And what happens and what happened to me is after two years, it just, I think caused enough ruckus that um, it wasn't worth it for the station or for whatever, you know, reasons they claim to renew my contract. But that cycle goes to show that if we're not invested in, then, you know, we don't grow. The organization doesn't come around us to want to see us succeed. And so the cycle of me being there two years and then another Latina behind me for another two years and two years after that and two years after that, that, that turnaround is not only you know, difficult for journalists just to be on the move that often anyway, but it also doesn't leave room for us to ever be elevated in those places either. And so what we, what we find is that that not only takes away the history of the two years that I had in the community that I built, but it also takes away the possibility of my tenure at the station and therefore my the probability that I'll ever see a management position or a decision-making position somewhere along the way of my, you know, career. And, and that's what we, we keep seeing is people who have the most longevity, for example, at my former station, Nine News, are all white. And, and that's not, you know, a, a bad thing that the newsroom is comfortable for my white counterparts, but it just hasn't been nearly as comfortable or nearly as easy a place to succeed for Latinas, my Black colleagues, Indigenous, Asian Indian, whoever else, because the reason I can say that confidently is because there is no one in those higher up positions or with a lot of tenure at the station who looks like that. I mean, that's just, you know, A plus B equals C. I'm speaking with Lori Lizarraga. We're talking about the topic of underrepresented newsrooms, a lack of journalists of color in newsrooms. You went public with the situation that you had to face in Nine News, and it was published in Westward. For the listeners that might not have seen it, if you can summarize what happened, what I gather from that piece, and I'm quoting you, making decisions about communities of color without communities of color in the room is neglecting them. Making those decisions about our community while actively ignoring our input is the definition of oppression. Those are Lori's words. So if you can please tell us, you know, briefly so that people will understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. Thanks for, you know, reading the piece. And I'm so happy that it resonated with you um, so much because, you know, I think it resonated with a lot of people unexpectedly. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't anticipate it to hit home for so many people the way that it did. But I mean, the piece is a result of, of being in a, a newsroom for two years where I was, you know, and I am the young Latina woman who I've always been um, in an, another news organization before Nine News. It, that, all those things about me that, that I bring to the table just by being innately who I am and having grown up in, you know, the immigrant family that I grew up in, that those things about me were, were met with, you know, great reception and, and, and my former news director loved it. And the stories that were produced from that were really, were new and they were representative and they were encouraged. And so I was quite successful. So I, I came into my new newsroom in, in Denver and in Colorado, a very different state than California and um, a very di different newsroom, you know, and I didn't, I didn't really know that. And the same things that I brought table this next time around at my second newsroom in Denver, they were quite more challenging. It seemed I was, I was going against the grain 
Um, and I was supposed to be there to learn. And I, I was there. That's why I took the job. I really wanted to learn. And I did learn. I did learn a lot of things, but I, I also wanted to contribute where I saw that there was room to grow and to change. And it happened very early on that within two weeks, I was doing a story on immigration and um, with a, a student, a minor, a 17 year old who about his, his status and the difficulty of getting into college, given that he did not have a social security number. And it would you know, be a conversation for the next two years about what I was allowed to call him by nine new standards, which was um, during that two years and all the years, you know, before that, that I would have to say, you know, he was here illegally or in the country illegally versus saying, you know, undocumented or he didn't have his citizenship or, you know, something more sensitive. I'm from an immigrant family. I watched, you know, my mom get her citizenship while I was in high school. Uh, and family members, you know, all through my life, get their get their citizenship or different versions, you know, of their status journey, um, all through my life, and so I know that I would never call a you know family member um, illegal. So I, I approached it that way because you know while I didn't this this person isn't my family, but he's my community, and so I knew how I would want to treat my community. Um, and I knew I couldn't say that. I knew I couldn't say here illegally or he was he's in the country illegally. I couldn't refer to him you know, in any way as illegal. And it would just go on to you know, create a, a, a conversation that was never met with, you know what, you're right, because I don't know this community and I don't have this experience. So I'm going to defer to you because I know you know and I don't know. I was always met with, well, we have grammar reasons why we're doing this and, and we have overall reasons why this is the most correct way to do it. So we're going to keep doing it the way we've always done it. And, you know, either, either you say it that way, or it's, it's not going to, you know, the story's not going to run, or you're not going to do immigration coverage going forward. You know, things like that would, would come up where I, I brought my lived experience and my expertise um, being from the community I'm from and having the experiences that I have. And in, instead of it being treated as expertise, it was, it was really more treated as bias. And it, it just, it happened like that for two years, where in another newsroom with a different set of people, um, my lived experiences made me an expert and made me really good. But in my new newsroom in, in Denver, it was treated, you know, as more of a headache. And it's funny when you put a mirror up to, to journalism and, and newsrooms, it's uncomfortable to be held accountable in the way that we hold others accountable we're only ever intimidated by what we don't know and, and the diversity or, you know, the, the experiences that aren't ours. We're only ever sort of intimidated by that. I think if we just haven't grown up around or been exposed to that, the, the magic of diversity, I, I think that, that when you've been around it and you know it, you see the value of it. I think what I would say, you know, to managers in terms of advice is just be, be okay that, that you don't know it all. And that there is room to take someone's expertise and put it to, to good use. People pay, you know, so much money for consultants and professionals to come into a workspace and make it more equitable and representative and diverse and, you know, fair and sensitive. If you have us doing the work for you that you could pay some consultant a bunch of money to do 
um, you might as well take that free, that free work. We, we want to help. We, I have nothing to, to gain advocating for my newsroom to be more culturally sensitive, advocating for my newsroom to be more sensitive, advocating for our news platforms to have more coverage that looks more like me and like my family and what we struggled with and what's going on in our neighborhoods. I have nothing to, to gain negatively from that. And neither does, neither does the station. So, you know, I guess the mystery to me is, is why anyone would want to, to fight that anyway. But that's, I guess my advice is, is just be, be open to what you don't know. And be willing, no matter how long you've been in the industry, especially if you've been in the industry for a long time, because it's a changing scene all the time, um, be willing to, to defer to someone else who may have the expertise that you don't have in a situation. I, I don't have a lived experience of being you know, a, a Black woman in a newsroom. I don't have an a lived experience of being a white man in a newsroom or a manager in a newsroom. I have to defer to all these different people and believe that, that they are the experts of their lived experiences, knowing that each of us brings a level of expertise. Then we'll just have a lot of experts in the room and we'll be very prepared for every, for every situation. I don't think that that needs to be controversial. You are so young. And you have already accomplished so much in your career. And when I hear you, you know, you have really heavy thoughts, like deep ones. Uh, that is so, so nice to hear. What's positive, the positive experience in journalism for you? What are your plans moving forward? <laughs> Where do you go from here? All of journalism for me, all this five years has been, has been truly positive. You know, I had many people say when the, when the piece came out, you know, why did you, why did you stay? the stories are always worth the hard work and the struggle that you, that you face. I think I was, I was working on a really worthy, worthy work in, in Colorado and the communities really deserve representation and a platform and elevation and a voice and to feel like they matter because they do not because it's charity, but because they're newsworthy And that, that means journalists need to get involved because when, we, when I was doing stories in the last year, especially, we were putting forth problems and, and bringing them to the attention of you know, the, the counties, the mayors, the health partners, the governor, and we were getting answers. And you know, what that tells me is, you know, our community is there. You know that we are important. You know that we are suffering. And once we call out that these communities are struggling, we are receiving the resources that they didn't previously have. We're receiving answers. We're receiving communication. We're receiving priority. And so you know, that makes the, the last two years worth it every day to know, you know if I don't get up, there is the possibility of some wrong that I could write today, that is incredibly powerful, that kind of, that kind of work. So what I came out with in, in Westward and why, Rosanna, that we're talking about this today was because I felt that the community deserved that level of transparency because I didn't want to feel, and I didn't want the community to feel like after all of that hard work and all the progress we were making, especially in light of COVID and vaccine rollouts and all of the progress I was making being an advocate in that realm, that I just got a better opportunity and left. Um, I really wanted to share how if I left, it wouldn't have a been my choice. But that it also would 
potentially see that progress halt or backtrack. And I, I wanted to explain that cycle because I know I'm not the first journalist to leave this market and stop that progress just suddenly in its tracks and leave that space of time where somebody either chooses to fill that role again and begin to push that boulder up the hill um, or walk around the boulder and just, you know, go on their way without helping the community out because it's, it's, you know, too much work or not my passion, whatever, whatever. So I want, I wanted to explain like why there was a halt in that work and why there would be this interim time before somebody wanted to pick up this, I don't want to call it a struggle, but you know, this, this, this role. And I think there are a lot of journalists doing that. I'm not saying once I left, you know, oh, suddenly there's no work being done, but each of us contributes in, in our way. And it matters when, when one of us is gone, because like this whole conversation is about, there are not that many of us Latina journalists, Latino journalists, Black journalists, Asian journalists, Indigenous journalists, Indian journalists, doing the work where we really have the perspectives of our communities. If you don't know which stones to look under, which questions to ask, what families to talk to, what situations to look for, how can you know how to cover these things? If I point them out to you, then, then you can cover them. And I think that's, that's also the beauty of having us in the room is once you see this sort of things that we're covering, then one of our you know, white counterparts, black counterparts, whoever can, can, oh, she did that story. I'm gonna do that story in that same community, but you wouldn't have known without my presence of having, you know, so we, we really do learn from each other. We do need to be in the same room. And that, that two years was, was worth it all. It was all, it was hard, but it was, it was all positive. You know, the community work is always, is always positive. The piece has already resulted in tangible changes. That means some journalists, just like me, will walk into Nine News or any other Tegna-owned station, and there are about six dozen or so across the country, and they will never have to have the conversation that I had about in the country illegally or here illegally. They'll never have to worry about if they're going to have to call someone illegal in in one of those stations or in Nine News uh, because now the company-wide guidance has changed since the piece came out and since the National National Association of Hispanic Journalists got involved and demanded updated guidance. And, and now all of the stations under Tegna will have updated their guidance in immigration coverage standards. That makes the piece and all of the two years so incredibly worth it. It saves someone the fight so they can put that energy, you know, right back into to where it's supposed to be going, which is to the people and to the community and, and to the to the fight. It's all been positive. I really do love this work. And I have no animosity toward my news. The reason I wrote the piece is because I wanted to shine a light on, on a larger problem that when I was trying to shine the light on it from inside, it wasn't working. And I felt like, you know, my last thing that I could do as a journalist and as a Latina was to say something, you know, publicly with as much respect and, and truth as I possibly could and just let it be received. And, and I prepared myself. If all this does is, is just encourages someone down the road to share their truth, and this really doesn't do all that much. I'm I'm okay with with that, and and I was also okay with the risk of of it robbing me of my future career as a journalist because truth is truth is always worth it. 
Jonathan Alcantara, an assistant professor in Chicano and Chicana Latinx studies at the University of Northern Colorado, thinks that it is important not only to have more representation of media producers so that they can tell the stories of the community with the community and not about the community only. I think that it's important for us to see ourselves represented in media. First of all, because, you know, our stories matter. You know, we do exist. We are here. And when we see ourselves reflected in those stories, it's basically that, you know, it's a big statement. It's like we're here and, and, and we, we matter. You know, our lives really matter here. And what we do every day matters. And it's important that we have members of our community also participating collaborative in representing themselves, right? I think that there's also sometimes this misconception that just because you have somebody who speaks Spanish, that doesn't mean that they get what we see in our community, right? And that's kind of like sadly the case, you know, it's okay. I'm not, it's okay. People should be learning other languages, should be learning about other cultures, but why not having Latinos, Latinas, Latinx folks being in those positions of power, right? Telling the stories of our community, you know, with our community, right? Together. I think that's, that's the, the next step. I really would like to see more independent as well. Media makers, I think that's important. We need to have those voices because we can offer a different perspective than traditional media. Not to say that there's anything wrong with it, but it's important to have it grounded in the community. I think that's something that mm -hmm. it's innovative. We need to have those stories. We need to have folks that are part of those communities telling those stories, just like uh, the documentary, right? We know, they know what they're going through. They understand what it is to have three jobs. They know what it, what it is. The difficulties is to go back home, prepare meals and make sure that your kids are doing well in school. All those different things that other folks might not be. That's the reason why it's important to have these type of approaches where you have members of these communities telling their stories with folks that can help to facilitate, right? The production or the creation of these platforms, but it's very important to preserve that essence, you know, people telling their stories. Lori Lizarraga sees the importance of more people of color, not only in media, but in positions of power in media. I'm gonna be shooting some interviews with some of the people who have made the piece such a success in terms of outcomes. Some of the people who made the piece even, you know, come to light in the first place. We're gonna be having lots of conversations, just like you're doing about representation in media and representation just in all professional walks of life in, in, in American workplaces and in Colorado. I think this is part of a larger conversation about Latino representation, where we deserve to be, where in fact we are. And now where we're finally getting a voice, this is a people who has been told, you know, put your head down, you're lucky to be here, don't make noise, don't storm the castle for a really long time. And, and now you're, you're seeing this group of people, I think, sort of get their, their voice and their strength and their footing. And we realize we're, we're quite powerful and we realize that we all have um, a, a place and we all have a right to a voice and to, you know, equitable representation in, in wherever, whatever room we're in. And I'm, I'm really enjoying being part of that conversation. Um, because it's, it's, it's overdue 
and um, and it's it's really only the beginning of what we're going to see from our Latino community. I think in terms of fighting for the voice that we very much deserve and that we we you and I both know we very much have. So yeah, I think this is I think it's part of you know something much larger, and I'm looking forward to that. And and I'll start on on the journey toward what what journalism role fits me best um, in the in the coming weeks. And I I. I can't imagine though Rosanna doing anything other than than journalism. So you you can you can bet I will still be reporting somewhere. I'm not sure where what that looks like yet. But for now, doing a couple independent things, you know, to keep the ball rolling on this and to elevate voices still. And then you know we'll see we'll see what storytelling role uh, finds me next. That is Lori Lizarraga former Nine News reporter and third Latina to be let go from the newsroom. As we wait and see what Lizarraga will be doing next, but not any longer in Colorado, we had the opportunity to look into a recent research done by Free Press about ownership for TV and radio stations, showing us that only three of the 27 full-power commercial stations licensed in Colorado are Latinx-owned, or 11%, while the other recent report done by Impact Architects found that Boulder County has a Hispanic and Latino population of 14%, and there are no dedicated Spanish-language news outlets in the county, nor any media outlets led or managed by people of color. It is no wonder that in a survey conducted for the study, only 23% of respondents stated that local news sources in Boulder County report on topics that truly matter to them. The study did, however, make special mention of a few organizations like KGNU Community Radio with its equity reporting initiative. For KGNU, I am Rosanna Longo. The Trends Podcast series is made possible with support from KGNU, listener, member, and community foundation of Boulder County.